i got to just say I do enjoy the songs that we sing, and those of you who lead, thank you so much for that. Some of them I don't think I, I don't know the last time I've, in the churches I've been the pastor, we sang them. So those great hymns of the faith, and thank you for joining together in the worship of our God. Charlotte's not with me today, my wife. Uh, she had an assignment with children's ministry at Two Rivers Church. Um, uh, but that happens from time to time, and she wishes she could be here. I, I would like to be with her, too. My son from Buffalo, New York, is in town for about, well, he got in about 3 in the morning. He's leaving 3 this afternoon, so for about 12 hours. So we'll have lunch with him afterwards, and then he'll go back to his responsibilities and family. But I'm always delighted to be with you as God gives opportunity. And I asked Pastor uh, Chris... Uh, I gave him a couple of ideas of things I might share with you today, and uh, we decided we would turn to the Old Testament, which is important for us to do from time to time, and I know that if you're in the adult class, you're doing that presently, uh, but turn with me to the book of Joshua, would you please, Joshua, and I'm going to just share with you from the first chapter of this uh, book uh, uh, this morning. Now, you define worship however you do. I, I believe that reading of the scriptures and praying and singing are some of the ex external pieces of our worship. Uh, and so I'm inviting you to read along from the ESV translation. I'll read it if you'll follow along from Joshua chapter 1. This is the word of God. Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down, the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go to take possession of this land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, 
the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place to rest, and I will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall not remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before the Lord before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and you shall pos and possess it, and the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command them shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The reading of God's word. So how do you define success? I mean, we're going to talk about that this morning. I, I really don't know anybody that doesn't want to be successful or to succeed. From Eric, who was a little five-year-old in our church and one day announced to me at age five as he was preparing to go to school for the first time in the fall, I think I am going to enjoy kindergarten. And with those words, I knew Eric planned to succeed, and he did. To myself, who at 63 sat down with a counselor and said, you know, I just, I just want to finish well. I just want to finish well. And we talked about that for a, a season. It was a way of expressing a desire to succeed. But what does it mean to succeed? You ask yourself that question, you ask that of others. I asked that of a radiology, a radiology oncologist. I said, so how do you know you're successful? Is it because your patient doesn't die? Is it because they took their 39 treatments and survived somehow? Is it because all their systems are working when they're done? Is it because they're feeling good or happy or life goes on? How do you define success? You ask that of yourself in school, in work, in relationships. Or maybe success is overrated. Bob Buford, who went to be with the Lord this year, wrote a book that I read when I was in my 40s called Halftime. And he said, well, it's really not about success, it's about significance. That's what it's about. And I thought, well, if we're going to go down that road, then it's not about significance, it's about faithfulness. How do you define it? What is it? But let's not, let's not uh, make light of success. We're opening a book today in all of the Old Testament. It seems like there is one story after another of people who could have succeeded and didn't, but many, most of them, about success. I mean, you think about it, we've just, in our Bibles, we just turned the page now from the book of Deuteronomy through 
which we read the story of Israel that's been kicking sand for a full 40 years. Not much has gone well, not much at all. I mean, they got calluses on their calluses. If that's success, then they've succeeded. Uh, you know, Charlotte and I define two nights in a tent being tough, you know, and there better be some kind of running water nearby. These people lived in the burning heat for 40 years. Now they find themselves dealing with this new stage in their being. We turn the page and God says, let's talk about success. Hooray, I say. But maybe it's kind of late in life for some. You wonder if it's too late for Israel. They've been at it for so long. 40 years. If, uh, I hate to break the news to you, but if you're over 14 or so and you're an athlete and somebody hasn't discovered you yet, probably it's not going to happen. If you're uh, in the marketplace and you're working and you're over 45 and you haven't really kind of found that groove, probably not going to happen. They say if a church is uh, over five years old, a church plant is five years old and it hasn't re reached some threshold, whatever that threshold might be for them, they think that's the mark of their success. It's probably not going to happen. Now, that's what we're told. We're told all those kinds of things. And then, oh my goodness, then you pick up this book and you find the story of these people. I mean, most of them... Can you imagine being a rabbi, a leader back in those days? He's done over 600,000 funerals out there burying somebody in a pile of sand somewhere. This nation just been treading along. And uh, those that were kids and those that were teenagers, they're, they're now 40 and they're 50 years of age. And then there's these two old guys. There's only two old duffers left, Joshua and Caleb. They're pushing 80 years in age. And David later on is going to write, you know, in Psalm 90, uh, you know, God's really good if he gives you 70, maybe 80 years. When I turned 70 last summer, I said, okay, God, everything now is gravy, I guess, you know. I didn't say grave. I said gravy, you know. That's life. I mean, we could, we'll pull all the statistics out. We'll look at them. That's what life is about. Last night I was sitting in our church, Two Rivers uh, Church, as Pastor Brad preached on God's calling. And I don't know what he really meant to say about this, but I heard him say these words that if God's put a calling on your life, it's not over until you get to the grave. And I thought, hmm. I believe that. Whatever God's called me to do. So it doesn't matter really. Here's my point. It really doesn't matter if you're 12 or 14 and you're wondering about success in sports or academics or something in the business world or even in church ministry. If God's called us to be somebody, to do something, He intends for us through His powerful means to succeed. In fact, I love that verse that Paul gives to us in Colossians chapter 1 at the end of it, the very last verse of chapter 1, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And Paul is writing that through some of the toughest stuff life ever would throw you. He never gave up. He believed God. 
Joshua 1. It's about success. We'll define it for a few moments, then we'll move on from that, and we'll see what we can do to understand how we get there in the time that we have together this morning. Joshua 1.1, we read, After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, now, Joshua knew this already, but God said it to him anyway. Moses is dead. I think he said that for one specific reason. It's kind of like when I became the pastor. I was 30, 33 years old, I guess, of a church, and there was an icon before me. I mean, he was the pastor that had taken this church from, from a little tiny church to a church of several hundred, and everybody always referred to it as Dave's church. Pastor Martin's church. And uh, I came in, and they said, oh, you're the pastor of Pastor Martin's church. And I thought, yeah, well, Dave hadn't died, trust me, but he had moved. But in a sense, I think it was something like this text. There's a new stage, there's a new time, and here it is, Joshua. Moses, he really was dead. Thirty days, you read the end of the book of Deuteronomy, of mourning had passed. And now God says it's time for your success. Now, how does he define it? Well, I think you see it from the very beginning of the chapter, the very end of the chapter, the beginning of the chapter. Verse 2, we read that it is uh, time for them to arise and cross over into this land. At the end of the chapter, he talks about possessing this land. Take possession of it. That's his definition. God gets to define the timing of success. God defines the sphere of our success as well. We're here to redeem the time that God gives to us. We're here to possess whatever it is that God gives to us. We need to see, we need to see, see success in a different way. I remember memorizing this verse. Have some of you remember, memorized verse 8? Joshua chapter 1, I, I, I don't know, I was, I was in a youth program and we did a little bit of memorization in it and this was one of those verses that popped up, I think I was 14, 55 years ago, still remember it, I remember at the time, I remember at the time that I liked it, it was a little different kind of verse in the Bible, I liked it because, well you know why, I was 14, it talked about success, it talked about prosper. I like those words. I still like those words in a different way perhaps, but I, I still like them. They're a, they're a massive part of this 21st century, in a hurry, highly marketed world in which we live. Success, prosperity sometimes. Churches talk about it, don't they? They, they even talk about this gospel of prosperity. Not sure they understand what God was talking about it when they say those things, but there are the words. Of course, I like to say, Houston, we have a problem because they didn't understand. People don't understand today really what these words in this text, in the Hebrew, are all about. Two words are used 70 times. The word for success is used 59 times. The word for prosper is used another 11 times, that's all. 
Maybe that's significant. I guess it is. You know, only once, only once, and it's the second word, the pro word prosper, only once in all of those 70 times have anything to do with some kind of oh, possession, wealth. It's in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 13. God speaking to Israel, Jerusalem in particular, in a contrary kind of way. And at the end of the verse, he said, you grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced. That's the word prosper. Beautiful, exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. I wrote in my notes today, that's Meghan Markle. She, she advanced to royalty. She was just another kind of California girl. And not anymore. Not anymore. She's got it. I mean, I've seen some of those jewels over there in London. They're, they're in the family at least. That's the only place in the whole of the Old Testament in the whole Scripture where we read about success and prosperity. It, so it's got to be something else. And here's what it is. So you want to remember these things or mark them down. To have success means to have insight, to have understanding, to have wisdom. To have insight, to have understanding, to have wisdom. And that, my, you read that in the Old Testament. You read that in the New Testament. It doesn't matter whether you're you're thinking about Solomon and all of the things that he was after or uh, Paul again who, who, who prays that people would have knowledge and understanding that they would, they would experience the wisdom of God. That, oh, that's what success is. Oh, hard for us to settle for that. We want stuff. We want stuff. But that's what God's Word says and the and the second word prosperity here's what it means it means succeeding in proper efforts what does that mean well it means whatever god has given to you the proper proper efforts when you succeed at that you've you've prospered you've prospered success is about getting where god wants us to go and having wisdom in how we relate to what he gives us let me say it again success is about getting where god wants us to go and having wisdom in how we relate to what he gives us in other words if god has a calling on our lives okay, let me just stop right here and say think of this as a group of people all right some of you may be new to this church some of you've been here well some of you've been here from its beginning so it, it doesn't matter. It, it, here it is. Here's this church together right now. So think of it as a group, not just as, in, in, as individuals. If God has a calling on our lives, and he does, then if we carry out that mission in the way that God has called us to carry out that mission, that's success. So, I've tried to define it. Let me spend the rest of our time in seeing if from this text if we can answer the question, how do we get there? Here are three steps that gets us to success from my, my understanding of this passage of Scripture. And, and I think at least the first one will be very, it'll be a little challenging for us perhaps. The first is this. It's the issue of leadership. It's the issue of leadership. And here's what I'm going to tell you today. 
I believe that the first step from this passage of Scripture that we must take if we are to be successful in the mission that God has given to us, the church, then we will be following God's ordained leaders. I've chosen those words carefully. We'll, we will be following God's ordained leaders. It's where it begins. It's not where it ends. It's where it begins. And you're going to see a progression of thought in this passage of Scripture, by the way. Remember that Israel was a theocracy. You know, and a theocracy is not one nation under God. A theocracy is we're God's nation. So that's what they were. And God ordained that there would be leaders, and we know the stories of so many of them, starting with Abraham, right? We, we, or Abram, as he was once called. We know all the stories of these leaders as they come and as they go. And God puts this together, and there is a way in which people were to follow. And we find that in the New Testament as well. We're no longer this nation, but we are this people, right? We are this people. We are the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the called out ones. And the church, too, has structure. It's not overly structured, or at least it shouldn't be. There is some, though. There is some. And God gives us instruction as to how they are to operate, how they are to lead, and we're not going to go into that. There's a lot that we could look at in the New Testament, how we lead and how we're to follow. By the way, there, is never, there has never been a good leader who wasn't first a good follower. So if, somebody said, if, if, you, if you decide God's called you to lead, my first question would be, well, how have you been as a follower? I think the best thing that I ever did, Pastor Chris, was to become an associate pastor before I became a senior pastor. Because for me, it was like, oh, so this is how you expect other... I was the follower for a season in my life. It's not everybody's story, but it was mine. So in the, in the book of Joshua, we find out what it is to be a leader that people follow. So let me just give this to you quickly. Leaders are to be proven uh, or seasoned. Not a novice, it says in the New Testament, right? You know that? Was that true of Joshua and Caleb? Remember how old they were again? Yeah, they, they've been around for a long time. Here's this, here's this Joshua, his father was called the fish. Son of, he was called the son of none. That's what it means. He spent, Joshua spent his Youth is a slave. I don't know what, how old you had to be to start making bricks, but he probably made bricks. He was there when he or somebody else took the blood and spread it over the, uh, over the door. He was there when they walked out of town with possessions that neighbors had given them, crossed that Red Sea on dry ground, Celebrated the, past, celebrated the presence of God in so many different ways. Water from the rock, picking up the manna, picking up the quail. Eventually he would become an aide to, to Moses. We read Exodus 17 tells us he's the one that God says, or Moses says, go on out and find me some recruits to fight the Amalekites. He does. Exodus 24, Joshua's the one who's up there with with Moses on the mountain with God. It's an amazing story. 
He gets chosen from the tribe of Ephraim, uh, sons of Joseph, to cross over Numbers chapter 13 to explore the promised land. He's one that comes back and just he and Cable could see not just the impossibility, humanly speaking, but the possibility of what God was about to do. I mean, he was not, he was not a novice. He was not a beginner. Leaders ought to be like that. Now, I mean, there are no Joshua incarnates here in this room, but that's what leadership is about. Proven, patient. I, can, I just have to say this. He was 80. How long do you have to wait to lead? I mean, you know, come on. I, I was coming out of seminary at 24, and I thought, okay, where's the ticket? That I, I, I punched, I've punched the ticket. Where do I lead? Took a while. Took a while. Thirdly, he, was, he has experienced the, the empowerment of God, the Spirit of God. That's the message of Numbers 27, 18. The Bible tells us the Spirit is in him. Not said of everybody in the Old Testament, but was said of Joshua 4th. Numbers 32, verses, verse 12, tells us that he followed the Lord fully. Isn't this great? You see the, prog- the progression here, too, in, in, the, in the scriptures. He is, he is now wholeheartedly, fully processed and committed to faithfully carry out what God has called him to do. Now, you can read First Timothy 3 in the New Testament. You're going to find some other things as well. But I think there's some great lessons on leadership right there from... Uh, Joshua chapter 1. But then, by the way, you go to the end of the chapter because it's, you know, leaders aren't just leaders. Then they, the people, said to Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do and whatever you send, wherever you send we will go. I love this. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things. I snickered. I snickered when I read that. So we will obey you. I mean, it was good intention at least. All right? It was bad memory you know, short memory, but good intention. And that's, that's, that, you know, that works for me, by the way. In the church, it's always worked for me. And we're all going to fail. Leaders fail. And, and followers fail. But the intention of the heart was there. So there is this. Oh, by the way, then what do they say? They say only this. I, I think you should know this, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Just do that. Well, God's already told him that, but it's all right. It's good to hear it from the people as well, right? And so, church, you have some leaders here. I don't know who they are. I know one of them. I know your pastor. Pray for them. Say to them from time to time, be strong, be courageous. Hey, and you tell us, where we should go. I know we're congregationally governed probably in some degree or another, but leaders are leaders and we're listening. We're listening. Those are good things for us. I think that's the first step to success within a group of believers. There's more. You can see this, that there's also the second step, this confidence in God and His promises. That's verses 2, the second part of verse 2 through verse 5. We've read it already. Verse 2 through verse 5. We see 
And listen, don't separate the two. Don't say you're confident in God and not in his promises. Or if you say that, you know you've got some work to do. We need to be confident not just in the promises and not be confident in God. We need to be, pro we need to be confident in God and the promises. So, verse 2, God speaks and he starts to talk about this land that belongs to God. By the way, they're just, it's, his, they're, it's just their territories, but it, the land belongs to God. It's his land. Joshua knew that. The people knew that. But I want you to see this. There is a place. There is a place that is promised to them. It has boundaries. We've read them this morning. North, you've got Lebanon. Down all the south, just down past Gaza where all that stuff is going on right now. Down the Jordan River, Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. This land, this piece of land, has been given to them as a possession. So there's land. There's power. There's a promise of power. You see that in the text. Verse 5, no one's going to stop you all the days of your life, right? Promise of God. By the way, it worked. God kept his promise. The people followed when they did. It was marvelous. There's a promise of God's power. There's a promise of God's presence. You can see the progress of this as well, where God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Oh, God was with Moses. They knew he was with Moses. It's God's presence. It's what he will say in this passage as well. I will never leave you. Or in, in, excuse me, in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does God forsake? Does God forsake? Some people say, oh, God forsook his son on the cross. Well, God didn't forget, forsake his son on the cross. Jesus felt it. Felt like as if he had been. Just do this little word study on that. You'll see that. God does not forsake his own. He never has. He never will. We'll go through some things we had never thought we could. We will prepare ourselves and be prepared for eternity as we have never, ever thought we could possibly be prepared. He will never forsake us. His presence is always with us. Jesus said to his disciples, you know this verse, Matthew, tw Matthew 28, I will be with you always, always, to the end of the age of the earth. And then again, that Hebrews passage, Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. See, if you're like me, you worry way too much about the how of this life and not the who. I mean, I'm... I got things going on in my head that keep me awake at night. I'm I'm as vulnerable as anybody. I need to be thinking about the who. The who, the God who promises, the God who is able, who gives us a place, who gives us power, who gives us his presence. And by the way, as Robin told us this morning how good it is to be reminded that he gives us our salvation. It is a gift. And he will reside within us and he will empower us by his spirit and he will be with us if we will receive 
that salvation. And if you have not, don't be indifferent to the call of God. I mean, Christ paid it all. Uh, His blood was shed for you and for me. And the Father says, we're not leaving you when you come to me. Come to him. Believe in him. Well, the second step, those early verses of this passage also are about the person and the promises of God. Stay firm in that. Then then there's this last, and it's this. If you you want to get to success, and here are the words I'll choose, be clear about your obedience. Be clear in your obedience. That's verses 6 through 9. So looking verse 6, 7, and 9, three times, what do you see? You see something like this repeatedly in the text. You know it's really there for an important reason. You'll find it, by the way, a fourth time in verse 16. We've read them all. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You know, the word strong in the, in the Hebrew Bible is used 300 times. I mean, that's a really important word in the Bible. And the word courageous is not just a, a minor one either. That's used 41 times. So, so this is to be a mark of the people of God, to be strong and courageous. It, it, it's spoken to these, these people who have been struggling, struggling and dying and wondering and waiting Be strong and courageous. It's spoken to the leaders first. It'll be spoken later in this book to the people as well. Don't be wishy-washy, thumb-sucking, sissy saints. I mean, however you want to put it, don't be like that. Or as the song, another one of those songs I learned in my teenage years that nobody I doubt that anybody knows it here. Be valiant, be strong, resist the power of sin. The fight is long, the foe is strong, but you shall win. For through the power of Christ, the mightiest of the might, you shall be more than conquerors. Be valiant, be strong. Or as as Edmund, who was president of, of Wheaton College decades and decades ago, would write, that God was going to see us through this. We're not to just get through somehow or to get through triumphantly, he would say. So what does it mean to be strong and courageous? Well, you know, you can go on TV and you can buy all those pills and do certain exercises and go on certain diets and there'll be these things in your belly that will show up that you didn't know were there, I guess. I've never seen them myself. But, uh, and you can walk around a gym with arms that are bigger than my legs and all that can happen. That can happen. That's what people think it means to be strong or smart is strength. How about this? How about if we define to be strong as being resilient? Resilient. And how about we define courageous as being resolute? Well, those aren't my words. Those are really what the words mean. Did anybody have a stretch Armstrong when they were a kid? You'd have to be pretty old. My kids had it. You know, you pull those things 
half across this platform, probably, and then you let go, and then gradually they come right back. There's Stretch Armstrong. Resilient people are people who go through tough times, but as they come through them, they come back to where they were. So, you know, if uh, you've been through surgery at some point and everything gets blasted apart and then in time, supposedly, things come back to where they were. That's physical resilience. We're to be resilient. We're to be resolute. Now, verse 6 tells us why we need to be strong and courageous. And it's very simple. It's because God has things for us to do. Well, that's true for Israel. God had things for them to do. Verses 7 and 9, God tells us the particular sphere of their application, how they're to live their life, and we as well. And so he says this, if you want to know where you need to be resilient, where you need to be resolute, it's here. Be careful in your obedience to the Word. Be careful. Be have this clear obedience. The Word. Well, he knew exactly what the Word was. The Word was five books at that point. Moses had put them together. God had given them to Moses. Here are these five books. Know these books, he says. Be careful in your obedience. Do what the Lord requires is what it means. I love what David Dads should say this to their sons, I think. David said to Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man. Be strong and show yourself a man. You have to flush that out, what that means. It means this at least, have a heart after God. Have a heart after God. It's what David had. He had a heart after God, 1 Samuel 13. It's what Joshua had, the heart after God. Let me point something out to you, all right? We get into books like Joshua and we think we're going to learn how to... I mean, some people really did look back at at the book of Joshua in in contemporary history to figure out how how to fight a war, how to fight a battle. I just want you to know there is very little from God about how to fight this battle in the particulars. There, there is one line in verse 14 where he tells them to be fully armed. But if you look at that, what that word really says, it's something about the number 50. The number 5 and the number 50. When it says be fully armed, it, it probably means God is saying line them up. Line, them, line everybody up in rows of 50. That's probably what it means. The rest of the verbiage is Joshua's. The rest of it is... Uh, g- Here's this man who is walking with God, whose heart is after God, who is careful to obey the things of God. And remember, success is insight and understanding and wisdom. God gave that to Joshua. God gave it to Joshua. And he lived a life. So I just say to you, to myself as well, let's be careful with the book of God, the, the word of God, the, the Bible. Let's be careful with what he says to us about how we live our life. Let's not see how far we can stretch this. The millennial generation is really trying to stretch it, really trying to. Fortunately, Gen Z, the kids that are following, they're kind of more interested. I'm excited about this. They're kind of excited about the book again. So I'm told. 
People have said to me, oh, pastor, be careful of the slippery slope. There is no slippery slope with God. There's something that's right and there's something that's wrong. Let's find out what he said. That's all. That's all. So success comes when we are strong, when we are resilient and resolute about God's word in our life. And how will we stay strong? Well, you know all of this already. It's to have a mind that meditates on God's word. It says day and night. This sounds kind of religious to me. It's not meant to be. It's just to be a life way. It doesn't mean, by the way, always be thinking about a verse. I mean, if you're praying continually and reading and meditating continually you're not doing anything else that's not what he that's not what the bible means it's talking about how it dominates our thinking any of you memorize scripture i'm not really good at it i have to memorize and then rememorize and then rememorize but i'll tell you what it does for me when i memorize scripture it helps me think about the scripture so i'm working on colossians 1 so you might hear the Colossians 1 from time to time because why well it pops up into my mind I do this thing called scripture typer you do it on your phone every noon my phone dings and it says oh you got four verses to review okay and so back I go and I'm going through those verses and I'm trying to keep those and how do I apply those verses in my mind in my life that's what it's there for I'm by the way number 7,030 I think and all the people that are doing scripture typers. I am so far down the list, I'm miserably almost in last place. But I'm at it. You could be at it too, whether it's memorizing or just knowing the scriptures, musing over it, dealing with it in your life. So we have a mind that meditates, verse 9. We have a determination that does not fear. We have a determination that does not fear. This is tough stuff, but listen... Don't be afraid. When things are, when your, your friends are going a different direction, life is different for you, don't be afraid. A former editor of Leadership Journal wrote that the eighth deadly, eighth deadly sin is fear. I think he's right. We're to have an awe of God and who He is, but we are not to fear the things of this world. So whatever God has called us to do, as individuals, or I want us to think as well collectively, whatever that is, whatever the giants in the land might be, whatever the internal demons might whisper when they say it cannot be done, when all those external people blubber and pout on whatever their big issue is, God says, stay with it. Don't be afraid. Stay in the book. See what God has called you to and do it. Do it. So, how does it end? Well, let me just say it this way. Whatever the church's mission is, I, I speak to you when I say us, I know that I'm a visitor and a guest, but think of me as one of you for a moment at least, please. What is our mission? What is the, what is the purpose of the church? You've probably written that out like most churches in America have. How do you define success at Faith Bible Church? Uh, how, how do you know how do you know in your heart that you're moving in the direction that God wants? Well, you've got to listen a lot to God. Uh, how, how well do you think you're doing? Well, let God tell you how you're doing. Don't let the church down the street, somebody you know that has a different opinion tell you. Find out what God has to say. God wants within his church people to be developed and empowered and released for ministry. How does that happen? 
I mean, what, what if this church was the best lay-led church in the area? What if this church was the, you know, I, I saw welcome out front on the sign when I pulled up today. What, what if this church was known to be the, the most welcoming small church in this whole area? What, what if this church was known to be the, 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 the church that serves better than any other little church in the area? There are lots of little churches, lots of them. I don't know what it is. God knows. God wants you to know. God wants you to be committed to being His people. So how will you define success? Well, you'll listen to God. You'll listen to God. You'll be obedient to God. You'll keep walking. You'll keep climbing. You'll keep a wholeheartedness in following. And what steps will you take? What steps do you need to take to pursue the heart of God as a church as well as individuals? Well, you're going to listen. Listen to God. You, do, do, do any of you know the name Eric Weinmeier? Weinmeier? Uh, he'll be 50 <coughs> this year, but when he wasn't quite quite uh, 30, he, uh, he summited Mount Everest. He went to the top of Mount Everest. Other people have done that, but uh, Eric suffers from a degenerative eye disease. He's lost his sight. He lost it when he was 13, but didn't stop him. How do you do that? How do you climb Mount Everest Ninety percent of those climbers never get to the top. Those those are pretty pretty strong, powerful people that try. Hundred and sixty-five, more than one hundred and sixty-five have died trying since nineteen fifty-three. How'd you do it? Well, he probably was in pretty good shape. I'll I'll give you that. Here's how he did it. He listened really well he listened really well he listened to the little bell that was tied to the back of the climber right in front of him he listened to the voice of his teammates who would literally shout out to him death fall two feet to your right he listened very carefully so he would know what direction not to go in he would listen for the pick of the, of uh, he would listen to the the pick of the, as as it was jabbing into the ice, so he would know whether the ice was safe to cross. He listened, really, well. So, when God calls us, and He's called you. And he calls you on a journey. He's called you to that. Begin with his word and in prayer and listen well and take the steps he gives to you as a church. Father, thank you for uh, the stories 
that we read in the scriptures, they're really ultimately about you, not about Joshua or Caleb or anybody else. They're about you. And amazingly, you are about us. It's all about your glory. It's all for your glory. It's all about you in that sense. But you love us. You care for us. There's not a person in this room that you didn't get, send your son and give yourself, Lord Jesus, as the payment for our sin. You do still love us. And we mess up. Just like Israel will in the stories ahead in this book. But help us, God, to know that in the walk of the journey of this life, there is success and there is prosperity as you would give to us like nothing this world could offer. And we thank you and we pray that you help us to follow you in Jesus' name, amen.